Please pray, come Holy Spirit, with me three times. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. God, as we gather here today, we hear about Trinity Sunday, perfect unity, no division. Yet in our world, a lot of us are scared. We're not seeing unity. We're not seeing division. We're seeing lack of the Holy Spirit. We just pray to be filled through this holy sacrifice of the Mass with the Holy Spirit. We pray to be more aware of the love of the Son and the gift of the Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's uh, not the most fun day to preach if you listen to Mass on the radio. Father Matt yesterday talked about this is like one of the least favorite days of any priest to preach because we have to talk about one of the biggest mysteries that God is three, yet one. He is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Spirit, but one. And then our math kind of works like this in the Catholic Church. One plus one plus one equals one. How do you explain that to people? It's a mystery. A few simple ways of explaining the Trinity that have helped me uh, when we look at the Trinity is the Father loves the Son so much, it begets, it doesn't create, but it begets a third, and that is the Holy Spirit. So you have the Father, who is Spirit, and Jesus, who is holy, and the love between them create the Holy Spirit. And we look at that, that love, and it's, it's love that's other-focused. It's not focused primarily on self. And that's kind of how our culture looks at love. It's, what can I do for myself? But love is not primarily a feeling. There are feelings definitely associated with love. But when we look at our world today, a lot of people don't want to call God love. And that is what we say, God is love. And when we look at our, our first reading today, and a lot of people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is a mean dictator and he's, he's, he's angry and he's a monster. But what does Moses say? The Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in kindness and fidelity. Slow to anger, rich in kindness and fidelity. God is faithful, God is kind, and God is slow to anger. And if we, we allow the word of God to speak to our hearts the truth of what's really, really happening, we come to know that it's really on us, something in us that has distorted our vision of who God is instead of who God says he is. Because Jesus came to reveal the love of the Father. We hear that amazing reading from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. And it means that we matter that much to him. That's what it means. It means you matter so much that if you were the only person on earth, God would have sent his only son to die for you. Not your neighbor, not the person, not the person across the street, not the person in Timbuktu, but you, literally you. And he wants you to know that and be so convicted by that that you want to be filled with his Holy Spirit. But look what's happening in our world today. There is a movement called Black Lives Matter. Whether you support it or you don't support it, I honestly, I don't care. But the fact is, in the middle of that is the word matter. And we have a group of people in our world today who feel like they do not matter. And that is the whole mission of the Trinity and the church that Jesus gave us is to tell other people that they matter that much. And is there anyone else to blame? 
besides ourselves? Nope. Because it's so easy for you and I to point fingers, oh, the government should do that, or that, that person should do that. But really, it's us. It's us. And have we been a missionary church? Have we been a part of that mission of the Trinity to tell people about the immense love of the Father, that he loves his people so much that he became one of them, died for them, and wanted to fill them with his spirit so they could be more like him, so they could be slow to anger, rich in kindness, and faithful. I look at myself and I think of all the times where just sometimes something as simple as being a little more kind would have gone a long way when I was just not awake yet and I chose not to smile or not to open a door for someone. Those little things leave like ripple effects. You know, if you threw like a rock in the water and you see the ripples, what kind of ripples are we leaving in our world today? Are we leaving a ripple of anger, gossip, you name the sin? Or is it kindness and faithfulness and patience? Because St. Paul says that love is patient, love is kind, and we have to be filled with this love, and it's not an easy love because it's not based on our feelings primarily. It's based on willing the good of the other. Because when we look at love incarnate, who is Jesus, you see a man who put up with a lot of stuff being whipped and scourged for you and I, having people wanting to stone him and kill him, but yet he chose to will our good. And that is what love does. It's, it's focused primarily on the other. And our world's not selling that. It's, what can I get? How can I take care of myself? How can I get all these things? Yet we forget about the other and how that leaves just a horrible ripple effect in our world. I'd like to talk about three people that have left a positive ripple effect in my own life. One of them, his name is Barney. And no, I'm not talking about the dinosaur. I'm actually talking about somebody who was born in Wisconsin on November 25th in 1870. And he was born in western Wisconsin, bordering the Mississippi River. And his parents were immigrants from from Ireland. And he was from a family who had 10 boys and six girls. And he worked as a logger. He, was a hosp- he worked at the hospital. He was a prison guard. And he also worked as a streetcar operator. And when he was 21, and he was at the street- working on the streetcars, he saw a woman be assaulted and murdered right in front of him. And earlier in his life, he had the inklings of maybe becoming a priest. And he said, at that moment, because I saw that evil happen to that woman, he said, God, what can I do so that will never happen again? God, what can I do so that, that evil never happens again? And the Lord reinvigorated his call to the priesthood that he felt at a younger age And he went to high school seminary, by the way, high school seminary at the age of 21. Talk about a humility check when he only had about an eighth grade education. And he he struggled because he had to study in some languages that he didn't know. And he actually was asked to leave the seminary. But instead of getting bitter even more, he surrendered his life even more fully to God and entered the Capuchin order. And it was his dad who taught him at a young age, prayer boys, 
prayer. And he made a commitment daily because his mom challenged him to pray the rosary daily. Who is this man? This is Blessed Solanus Casey, who's about to be a saint for our church. And he chose to enter into the fight and say, God, what can I do to make sure that never happens again to someone else? And he gave his life to be a priest. And I could go through his life and I encourage you to study his life, but it didn't necessarily get much easier after that. He wasn't even allowed to hear confessions as a priest or even preach because they didn't think he was smart enough. But yet he chose to be better rather than to be bitter because he knew of a God who was slow to anger, who was rich in kindness, and who was faithful. The other person I want to talk about is younger. He was born and raised Catholic. I, I don't believe he's practicing his faith anymore, but his name is Stephen. He was born on March 19th in 1977 in Spokane, Washington. He attended Gonzaga Preparatory School, which is a Catholic school, where he learned um, how to speak in the greater spoken league uh, defense language, and he actually had MVP awards and how good he was at, at dictating. But after that, he went to Washington State University to play football. But he was even good enough where he actually played for the, the Indianapolis Colts, and then he played for the New Orleans Saints. And on September 25th, on 2006, he's known for doing something that some people might see as not so consequential, not so big. But what he did was he actually blocked a punt. But about a year before that was when Hurricane Katrina hit, and people were wondering, are we going to make it? And for some reason, when he blocked that punt, people had a sigh of relief that everything was going to be okay. And he was you know, named Special Teams Player of the Year Award. But after Katrina... And he, he formed a, a foundation called One Sweet World Foundation. And he focused on literacy and helping the environment. And he helped do things like called Backpacks for Hope, where he'd help people. He would often donate his hair for locks of, of locks of love. But then on January, in January of 2011, at the age of 33, he got a life-changing diagnosis that changed his life. He was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, which is also known as ALS. But, a lot like Barney or Solanus, he saw this as an opportunity to be better. He says, in a way, I see this as an opportunity to continue to be an inspiration, maybe even more so than I ever have been as an NFL player. He set up a group called, the, called Team Gleason, and he's even known for his documentary called Gleason, which I'd highly recommend renting or watching. You can check it out on Netflix or on Amazon. And he went on Microsoft, he helped partner with Microsoft and did a lot of really good stuff with technology. He helped people learn how to type with their eyes even better. Type with their eyes, because that's all he can do, because he's completely wheelchair bound. And he says, with this, Technology, I can control everything in our house. TVs, doors, lights, the thermostat. And he says, I can even tweet on social media while I'm pooping, just like you. Not that anybody would ever put their cell phone in their hand while they're going to the bathroom. But 
what he did while he came down with this ALS is he actually started to do a vlog, which is video journaling in essence, and he made a video log for his son named Rivers to teach him what it meant to be a man. And he made that movie, and he said, the movie isn't really about ALS. It's about being a human rather than a kitty cat. He said, Michelle and I chose to turn my footage into a feature film because we thought the viewers' viewers' world see themselves in our humanity. We're two imperfect people striving to find strength, solidarity, and love under extraordinary circumstances. He said, I believe the desire to live with purpose despite the circumstances and when life is universal. He said, if our movie inspires anyone to live more triumphantly rather than just hanging in there, he said, we've succeeded. And he also recently spoke out with what's happening in our world with the rioting and the racism we're seeing. This is what he said recently. Now, this is a man who's been bound to a wheelchair for over 15 years now. He said, the real problem of racism in the U.S. is real. It is difficult for me to comprehend the hate and anger of people, but I work to see myself in others. Slavery and Jim Crow laws were just yesterday from a human historical perspective. Undeniably, the effects from this are still here today, systematically, implicitly, and explicitly. But he says, I have chosen to live especially in the past nine years, with a perspective that adversity and tragedy are our opportunity. While it shouldn't have taken the senseless death of an unarmed man and countless others to see this, I see the death of George Floyd as an opportunity, my opportunity. This is my opportunity to seek to understand others' pain and struggle, to be compassionate and to suffer with others. This is my opportunity to get out of my own comfort zone and have difficult conversations where I will say imperfect things. This is what I want us to listen to. He says, if I lead with love, I do not have to be afraid. If I lead with love, I do not have to be afraid. He ends by saying, this is my opportunity to acknowledge that I am a part of the problem. And thus, I can be part of the solution. This is my opportunity to take action, steps to help solve the problem of racism in my country, in my city, and my home, and even in myself. And I think that's a great perspective. Look in first before you point fingers at others. The third person I'd like to talk about who's gone through a sense of injustice is my dad. A lot of you don't know this, I've never talked about this, but I, was, I called him yesterday, and on March 11th in 1975, uh, my dad was T-boned in an intersection by a man without having a license, right? And he broke his neck, he had head trauma, he had bruises, he was actually um, stuck on a bed for several, several weeks, if not months, and he, but he said he made it out of the hospital in roughly five weeks but he had to wear one of those wire harnesses around his head. Maybe you've seen those when someone breaks their neck. And then a soft collar. And then he said, just by the grace of God, he was even able to play baseball that summer. But he said, while wearing the harness, he was called as witness to the city of Appleton hearing against the driver who hit and totaled his car. 
Now, the judge was Judge Van, Van Susteren, who maybe you, some of you know Greta Van Susteren from TV. This is her dad. And he allowed the driver who had no legal license to drive, who nearly killed my dad, and to continue to drive to his job at Dunkin' Donuts to clean the floor. My dad, while he's sitting in the courtroom, was outraged. And he actually had to be restrained by the policeman, and the policeman told him to shut up, otherwise they might lose the case. My dad said he was angered, and he's like, this is not justice. But the Van, Susteren, the Van Susteren judge was finally disbarred in the middle of 1986. He was an alcoholic. But he never, my dad never found out what happened to the guy who hit, hit him. But he said it took many confessions to learn how to forgive that man and forgive that judge. And he said, after the accident, he said, I vented my frustration and lack of justice by writing to the director of motor vehicles, asking that all license plates belonging to chronic violators have a mark on their license plate to signal to other drivers of them for potential danger. He's an, my dad's also an artist, so he even drew what he wanted the license plates to look like. It didn't fly, but he felt there was a little bit of justice done over time because he was willing to forgive. My dad says over the following years, he resolved to live life to the fullest because you and I never know when we're going to die. This was not a good lifestyle, and he, he said he's sure his, even his dad and mom are in, are in heaven praying now to this day, but his dad just passed away from cancer shortly after that. But he said, he said thanks, God, thanks to God, the prayers were answered as he met his future wife. What's the difference? What's the difference with these three people who had probably full right to be better rather than to be bitter? You know, why would Barney, Solanus, why would he say, what can I do to make sure something like that never happens again? But he went, he went to the extreme, to his vocation, and said, I'll be a priest, right? And you have Stephen Gleason, right? A man who's totally wheelchair-bound, who has helped so many people. He doesn't have as, as much physical ability as you and I, not even close, yet he's changing the world. My dad, I, don't, I wouldn't be half the man I am if it wasn't for him. Yet he chose to live his life to the fullest and shortly later after that accident met my mom, who is his wife now, and gave his life to his vocation. I believe right now, as what we're seeing in our world with this outcry of lack of justice, is the church's fault. We have to point fingers at ourselves because we're not aware of the immense love of the Father who sent his only Son, who wants to fill us with his Spirit so people can say, I will be your priest, I will be your bride, I will give up my life for marriage so I can have a vocation to serve the public. My hope through this time period is that an abundance of vocations spurs out of the church. Because if we had more priests, if we had more religious sisters, I guarantee you more people would know about the love of God. And that's one thing we've just seen on the decline over and over and over. 
So you and I have a choice as we come down this aisle to receive the Holy Eucharist to make a change and make a prayer to God to say, what can I do to make sure this never happens again? So, what will you do?